Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Mark Slight. He is a health coach specializing in obese clients in the over 40s population. He also has a video series called the Superhero Coaching Series. He's a former GB indoor hockey coach and world record holder. So welcome onto the show, Mark. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. So before we delve into, obviously, the topic of today's episode, Mark, can we go back to the beginnings of why you wanted to become a health, or obviously come into the fitness industry and become a health professional? Yeah, of course. Um, so I've been I've been involved with sport all my life. Um, it's a bit of a long long question, this, but I've been involved with sport all my life. Um, I used to play tennis when I was in my in my teens, up until my late teens, to quite a good standard. Um, and I was always interested in the. I think that's where the the mindset aspect come in for me. I, I'd always struggle on a singles court. I was always a much better doubles player, but out on a singles court, I'd find that I would struggle mentally. I'd always be putting myself down. If I would always talk myself out of shots and I'd always struggle. So that's where that side of my training come in, started to work then in them early days with mindset. And that was about 20 years ago. And that was really difficult then because you, you didn't have the internet then, which seems strange to say that now, but we didn't have the internet. So we had to, I had to go and find a mindset book, which at the time mindset wasn't worked on quite so much anyway. Then I had to go to a bookshop and, and try and find that book on mindset and study myself. So it wasn't as easy as it probably would be now. Um, then, unfortunately, I got injured, uh, probably when I was 19, just coming up to 20. So I had a few years out. I still tried to keep fit, but I had a few years out. And then I started to play um, a sport called floorball, which is indoor hockey. Uh, it's basically off-ice off ice hockey for people who don't know what it is. And I started to play that, got really into that, started to take myself up towards a GB level. Then I started to coach. And then um, from there, I got involved with the GB under-19s and I, I worked up to assistant coach and nutritional advisor for the GB under-19s. And then it, it, it kind of progressed from there, really. I, I was always doing bits in the background. I was doing some nutrition for my from sports teams and I was, I was qualified as a coach, obviously. Um, and I just wanted to take it a little bit further. But at the time, I was still working as an engineer. And then I, I went in one day. I'm sure everyone will, <laughs> will um, resonate with this. They go into work on a Monday morning, really don't want to be there. They're moaning about everything. And that was me. I, I didn't want to be there. I thought, so what do I want to do? Well, sport was the first thing that came to mind. I love my sport. I love my fitness. love my nutrition. So I'm going to start studying that. And I started, I started getting more involved with the nutrition side of things started helping people online a little bit, just friends and family to begin with. Um, and then it became apparent that I needed to step up my physical training as well. So I, I went and got qualified as a, as a PT, took myself up to level four. And, um, and that's kind of where I've gone from there. I, I didn't really want to work as a PT in a gym. That, that didn't really appeal to me. We were just talking about it beforehand, that working late hours, trying to fit around other people's work schedules and working eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. I didn't fancy that. So we're lucky enough with the age we live in now that we can reach more people and, and get ourselves online as we are doing. And um, it's a great tool to help people all over the world. You're not restricted to where you work. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity online to really 
to get your message out there, to reach a lot more different type of people, a lot more demographics. And that's kind of where I am now. For the last three years, I've set up my own business and it's focused solely online. I don't do any personal training anymore. And, and that's where we are today. And obviously, we, we connected about a month or so ago and I've been on your show, the uh, Superior Series. And we obviously discussed at length after we started recording about obviously your niche within the over 40s. But can you kind of explain to my listeners what what was kind of the catalyst for you wanting to go into that niche more specifically? Yeah, well, I think it had always been there. Um, I'd always get kind of frustrated if I'd see if I'd see obese people in shops and they'd be, and they'd be buying like frozen pizzas and things like that, that, that would always bug me. Um, and you'd hear about things in the news, people with type two diabetes and, and liver disease and all these kind of preventable diseases and illnesses. Um, but they wasn't ever helping themselves. I'm sure you might've seen the programs on TV, like the, um, the biggest loser and programs like that. And, a, you know, a year to save my life, all these really extreme overweight people, and, and they're having to drastically change their life. Um, and I wanted to get to people before that, before that stage. Um, and then how long ago was it? About two years ago now. Um, my father, unfortunately, we, we got a phone call about two, two thirty in the morning. He'd been rushed to hospital and he'd had, he'd had some breathing difficulties earlier that night. I actually spoke to him about, about nine o'clock in the evening and he was struggling to breathe. Didn't sound too bad, to be honest. It sounded a bit like you just run up the stairs, you know, and you're mm-hmm. a little bit out of breath. But I was on the phone with him for about 15 minutes and it wouldn't go away. And I did say to him, you should call the doctor. And my dad being my dad, he's no, no, it's all right. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll go to sleep and it'll be okay. Turned out he wasn't. So we got called. Well, my mother called me up 2.30 in the morning. She was in tears. And what she'd actually been told was that he'd been taken with by the paramedics. And as they went out the front door, they said to my mum, you need to come to the hospital, but you need to be quick. Okay, so that, she's told me that on the phone. So we're quickly, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I remember it now, because I'm actually sitting in the same place where I took the phone call. And um, I was sort of putting my clothes on as I'm talking on the phone. I don't know how I managed to get them on, but I, I did. And I grabbed my girlfriend and we drove out to the hospital, picked my mum up. We got to the hospital and I remember vividly walking into the, um, it wasn't the ICU, it was the ward before that. It's like the emergency room where you first go in where the re- resus unit, and uh, and we saw this guy who, who I thought was my dad and he was laying on this bed right in front of us. So he had a breathing mask on and there, there was blood all around his mouth and on the bed. And I, mem- I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, he's in a, he's in a terrible state. And, and we, couldn't, we couldn't see anyone at the time because all the nurses were down in the far end and they'd, they'd drawn the curtains around this bed. And there were seven or eight nurses and doctors all, all um, panicking, rushing around this guy with they'd drawn the curtains around. Anyway, long story short, that turned out to be my dad. And they was actually resuscitating my dad while we were stood in the, in the entranceway. So we got ushered away and we got put in this room. And basically, we, we was put in this room. And I'm, I think we're put there waiting for my dad to die. Um, and just to backtrack a little bit, about three, three or four months before that, my, my partner had lost her stepdad in a very similar way. And, but very, very quickly. And he'd been put on a ventilator machine. I think he went in hospital on a Thursday. On a Saturday night, he was put on a ventilator machine. By Sunday night, it was switched off. It was, it was that quick. Uh, so, we, so the doctor come into the room with me, my girlfriend, and my mum there. And he, and he told us a story. He said, my dad's really struggling. He can't breathe. We're trying to keep him breathing on his own, but he can't. So we might have to put him on a ventilator machine. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, if he goes on that, we've already been told that people rarely come off that. 
Uh, anyway, the doctor went away. He asked for our permission to resuscitate my dad again, which was awful. Was just the worst. Being in that room was the worst moment of my life. Um, and he goes away and he comes back about 15 minutes later and he says, right, we put your dad on a, on a ventilator machine. So straight away, I'm trying to be strong for my mum, but I'm thinking, you know what? That's it. 12, 24 hours, my dad's gone. And, and the thought um, that you may never get to speak to your dad again is just, I, I can't even tell people, if you've not been through that, I can't even explain what that's like. All the things you want to say, the things you want to do, they're just, they're just gone straight away. So, so anyway, that was, that was that. And then we went into the, he went into the ICU. We was incredibly fortunate that we got a phone call about 18 hours later and he'd come through, they'd switched the ventilator off and he'd come and he was breathing on his own. And, and we're very, very lucky two years later, he's still with us now. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the reason it got me to go back to your original question, <laughs> the reason it got me to where I am now is because every, every issue my dad had, he had COPD, he had type two diabetes and, and heart problems, high cholesterol. Everything he had was man-made and was preventable just, just by better lifestyle choices. And, and I'd kind of known that all my life, but you, just, you put your head in sand a little bit. You think, oh, it's never going to happen to us, never going to happen to us. And I think that's what a lot of people do as well. I think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to be ill. But the shock horror is you are, you know, and it's going to shorten your life. And, and the thing that really got me to focus on my niche now, which is um, people with sort of five stone to lose, over 40 years old, because once you get over 40, you're looking at things like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and I'm trying to catch it before it really gets hold of people. And the, the biggest aim for my for my company now is to stop people sitting in that waiting room like I was waiting for their parents, waiting for their loved ones to die. Because until you've been there, I cannot tell you just how, how awful that, that really is. At four o'clock in the morning, we had in 18 hours, we went from heartbreak to, to joy and everywhere in between in 18 hours. And it seems it was two years ago. And I'm telling you now sitting in the same seat, like it happened yesterday. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling. But also, Mark, wouldn't you say that essence of um, knowledge and miscommunication is apparent in everyday society? Even even though even probably you could probably say the worst generation is probably the young the youngsters now because they've got junk food readily available. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually put a video out this morning, a very quick one, and it was, it was about the press, and it was about what, yes, you're right, there's, there's a lot of junk food about, and it's, it's much, easy, much more readily available than it, than it ever used to be, but there's also a lot of bad knowledge out there. Um, the press demonizing foods such as fats and carbohydrates and, and meat products. Um, so people, I think, get confused. They, they don't know what's good and what isn't. And then they come on to, to health coaches like myself, and maybe we get a bit technical sometimes, I think. And we start talking about macronutrients and intermittent fasting. I think that can, <clears throat> excuse me, that can confuse people sometimes too. And I think there just needs to be some sense in the world, and people need to put out some good, sensible, easy knowledge. Um, because healthy eating isn't hard. We know it's not hard, but there's too many temptations. As you said, the fast foods, the cakes, you walk around the supermarket and, and I've took videos of this before and, and in between every section of fruit, there's cupcakes and scones and, and breads and there's no need for that. And it's just enticing people into these things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, cardiovascular disease. Oh, well, if we go probably even deeper that I and mean, we go more, probably more specific with 
us being in the UK, well, we well you we use um, oh, what would it be called? Um, you know, the coupon system with Tesco's and yeah. and the like. I would say my household is very health conscious, but the general what you get sent through the post would be absolute crap. He's thinking, <laughs> uh, where in the data analysis have you come up with that, that we buy that? So think, why are you sending this? Yeah, I think that there's probably at one point you've probably bought a Twix <laughs> and they've, <laughs> and they've like, oh, we've got this on promotion, but we'll forget all the broccoli that you buy because we can't make any money from the broccoli. So we'll send you the... We'll send you the prepackaged chocolate you bought once six months ago. You know? But yeah, I, I agree. And they just want to push that because, because it's a business and because there is no money in, in that for them. And, and the reason no one pushes fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, because apart from the farmer, there isn't anyone who's going to make any money out of that. And it sounds a really harsh thing to say, but when, when you push the, the processed foods and the chemically enhanced foods, it's not just them companies that are making money. There's the medical profession that make a lot of money as well. And people, people neglect to, to think about that. And, and I'm not saying that one is, is sort of sponsoring the other, but if you took away all the processed food, there's a lot of people out of work. There's a lot of people losing money if you take processed food off the shelf. Well, if we go kind of delve into that topic right there, Mark, yep. would you say it was kind of like this vicious circle and they're kind of working together? You could, you could call it a conspiracy or, or whatnot. Obviously, the government working with the pharmaceutical industry, the pharmaceutical industry working with the supermarket, and obviously there's that chain that they're going to work together and, and, and they've, got, they've got no um, inkling to actually change that because it's uh, at the end of the day they're making money. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's every processed food company is, is thinking down that line. Nobody, if you imagine the people in the boardroom, and you imagine how they, they think, they don't care about you and me. They, they care about their bank balance. They care about their company. They, they don't care if people are real. They don't care if the, the obesity epidemic is getting worse, as long as they're making more money. In their head, the, the worse the obesity epidemic gets, the more money they're going to make. Because take sugar, for example, and we look at the, the fizzy drink companies like Coca-Cola. And when you get addicted to the sugar, it's very, very hard to break. Okay, so the more they market that, the more they get you into it, the more you're going to buy it for the rest of your life. I watched a program the other day where a guy was drinking, um, can I name the drink? Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> he was drinking Mountain Dew, okay? He was, in, um, he was in a state in America, and it might have been Canada. And it's, it's a Pepsi company, Mountain Dew. And he'd, had all, he'd been drinking it from three years old or something like that. And all, all his teeth were just rotten. And it was because of the Mountain Dew. And this kid, he knew it was the Mountain Dew. He was only 17, and he was having all his teeth replaced. And they'd done that, and he went through a lot of pain to get all his teeth replaced. And they said to him afterwards, are you going to stop drinking Mountain Dew? And he said, no. Because he can't, because he's, it's like a drug. And he, he, he is fixed on that now. And they were, they were saying there's people that are putting Mountain Dew and fizzy drinks into their baby's feeding bowls and, and things like that. And, and when they do that, you've got no hope as an adult. Um, just to... Um, stay on the sugar subject I recently run a half marathon and my training schedule went up went really <laughs> went through the roof my calories went up quite a lot and the way because I'm a vegetarian I do miss out on on some calories my, my diet calorie wise is quite low um, but I needed the calories to cope with the training so what I went to I went to a few extra sweet treats I wasn't bothered if I come home and had a bit of ice cream or I wasn't bothered if I had a cake or some biscuits and that was 17 weeks. And I put a video out the other day and said, right, 
this is getting too much of a habit now. I've stopped the run. I've finished the race. I've stopped my training, but I haven't stopped eating the sweet stuff. And I said, right, it's going to have to stop. I, my energy levels are dipping. I'm getting headaches. I can't concentrate. I've got brain fog all the time. And from the Tuesday morning, I said, that's it. Cold turkey, no more sweet stuff. And I tell you what, for the first three days, that was, that was awful. That was hell on earth, the first three days, just, just going with no sugar. And that was after 17 weeks. You imagine what these people are like when they've, been, when they've had it in their feeding bottles and they've been brought up with it. And they know no different. It's just that how many people, I call it the white van man diet, they go out, you see them drinking bottles of Coke all the time because they're never going to pick up a bottle of water. They always go for the fizzy drinks. The adverts look cool. They're enticing. The packaging is cool and enticing. Who wants a bottle of water when you can have this fizzy, this green liquid or this Coca-Cola or something like that? And that's what people go for. Well, I've also recently gone into, well, the teaching profession and gone into schools. And the first day I was walking to the school, obviously, obviously seeing what the kids have got in their hands would be, oh, what, what an example. I know the kid had a bar of chocolate and I wouldn't be surprised if there's been a fizzy drink in there somewhere. So you're thinking, what in your right mind would make you want to eat a chocolate bar at, I think, half eight in the morning? Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, I don't get it. And, and especially with kids and, and very young kids as well. Um, what I don't understand is obese children because that child hasn't got a job. That child hasn't got money. That child can't go to the shop and buy his or her own crisps and biscuits and cakes. The parents are buying it for him. And that's what I don't understand. You know, you go through having a child. I imagine, I've not got children, but I imagine the process of having a child is very traumatic. I know people who have. You go through the, the pain of the birth and, and bringing them up and raising the children is a very scary thing. You're responsible for this little life. And then, then they get to a certain age and just think, do you know what? You can have a Mars bar for breakfast. I, I don't get it. How can, you not, how can you not love your child enough to, to look after them, give them good food? Why would you give them crap all the time and then have an obese child? And then the parents turn around and say, oh, well, it's you know, what they're having at school. No, it's what you're putting in the kid's lunchbox. And, and that, but, that's a big part of it. But didn't, Mark, do you not think that it comes back to that root point that we brought up early on is that the parents aren't as knowledgeable as they could be and thus oh, there's that argument of people like on low incomes they don't eat healthy because they can't afford to it's like well that's ridiculous because uh fresh fruit you could you, know, you don't have to buy fresh fruit you could buy it frozen it's that and i and i and probably something you do with your clients you'll put them down that pathway you don't always have to buy fresh food it's probably cheaper option now and in in most cases it's probably fresher being in the in the in the in the freezing section than it would be buying it fresh yeah yeah it probably is nine times out of ten you know frozen at source and yeah instead of, you haven't got the handling and the transport they've probably got some of the frozen fruit has probably got more um more nutrients still inside it because it hasn't been handled and transported quite so much but yeah i, I definitely hear that a lot i can't afford to eat i can't afford to eat healthily and and I've been connected with a few people recently who've said that. And they'll, and you'll, because of social media now, you can see everything that people do. And people connect with you and they'll, and they'll put posts up and, oh, I've baked, baked a cake today. Well, that cake is not going to do you any favours whatsoever. I'm not saying people shouldn't have cake. They absolutely should. I eat cake as well. But having a whole cake, when you think of the amount of good food, you can make a huge bowl of soup. You know, you, you, can, make, um, you can make big salads. You can make food meals and freeze them and they'll last you all week. But instead of that, you've got a cake and you can't, you can't sustain your body on a cake, but you could have, like you say, you can get the frozen fruits if you want to, if you want to have something sweet, 
but you can make you can make um you can do mixed veg in the like mediterranean veg in the oven that will last you a couple of meals you can do soups and stews which are fantastic for you if, you, if you're a meat eater you can you can stew the bones down and you've got all that bone broth going in there which is really good for your gut you can be really healthy that way it saves you money not throwing any food away but yeah i think coming back to your point education is a big part of it because i also believe not a lot of people know how to cook um i think if you buy if you buy processed food it's very easy it tells you just to to slit the packet take the sleeve off put it in the oven for 30 minutes you can walk away watch a tv show come back ding your dinner's done and, and away you go but with the fresh fruit and veg there's no instructions and if they don't know and if they haven't been brought up to, to cook it's a big issue but why and I, I get their thinking why would they go to all that effort where well, they've got to get a cookbook maybe they've got to be taught they've maybe got to have someone show them how to cook something they've got to peel the vegetables they've got to use three or four different pots but it's all there in a tray that they can just throw in the oven so you, you can see why they do it and you can understand their thinking and you can see why the companies are so successful at selling these products um, well, it comes all back to that convenience element, doesn't it? It's 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 what can I get? Uh, well, get somebody else to do something for me to make it go quicker. We're thinking, well, with health, maybe you shouldn't do that because, like you were saying, they don't they don't care about you as long as you're giving them money. Yeah, that's all. That's the that's the end game. Okay, I think maybe maybe within the people within the boardroom, they probably think about their individual families probably a little bit more than the, the general populace at, la- at large. So that one is probably, they probably, they work for that, but they probably would negate the children having that maybe as a treat or something like that, or, or not at all. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I, th- I just think there's too many easy options available. And, um, and like we say, so it's pushed because they, they're a business and they want to push it. But there is never enough education to say that single ingredient whole foods and organic foods is the way to go because nobody makes any money from that. But coming back to obviously that teaching people and the knowledge base. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I've talked about this with a few people today and more probably more specifically on the PE front. Do you think... Maybe we need to have, um, this is probably maybe to the British origins that, we're, that I've got, is we need to have a rethink of how our education system is set up because obviously the importance of the curriculum is obviously math, English, science, etc. Whereas maybe, and like the, the point you touched upon, people don't know how to cook. Well, shouldn't there be more emphasis with people doing home, home, I can't speak, home, home ec, and obviously maybe ch- rebranding PE? to a certain extent, and maybe having more emphasis on health. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you get a little bit older, I mean, I'm nearly 40 myself now, and, and when I look back at my school days, and I, and I th- kind of think how poor they were, yes, like you say, there's, there's maths, there's English, there's science, and they're pushed, and, and, and they should be, absolutely. Um, but I also think the most important thing in life is your own body. And, and that was never really touched on at school we we was given a few cooking classes um but i distinctly remember them being cakes i I do think we cooked one lasagna one day but it was just there was never any talk about the origin of food there was never any talk about the sun's role in the food and and how the food got to your plate and and talk about the farmers and, and the work and there was never then any talk about um 
about how, how your digestive system worked, for example. There was no nutrition ever, ever in school. I mean, I only learned about nutrition by taking it out myself when I was early 30s. And I was talking to another nutritionist earlier. Um, well, actually, uh, when was it? Probably about a week ago. And it was, was talking about quinoa. And until she became a nutritionist, she never even knew what quinoa was. She'd seen it in the shops, thought it was called quinoa. She didn't know what it was. But until she studied herself again a little bit later in life, she didn't know because no one's taught us. And you touched on it there, the, the PE classes. I remember trying different, different sports. I remember trying high jump. I remember trying tennis is the one that sticks out because obviously I went on to play quite a lot of tennis. But we had two tennis, what I would say is lessons, mm-hmm. but they wasn't lessons. We were taken out by the same teacher who taught us rugby, who taught us football, who taught us hockey, who taught us high jump and everything else. And we were basically given a, a tennis racket each and a couple of balls. You stand that side of the net, you stand that side. Let's see how many times you can hit it back and forwards. That, that's not coaching. That's not teaching. It's not telling me anything about the sport. And I think they touch these things because they have to for the curriculum, but there's never any in-depth work that goes into it. And, and like I say, your body is the most important thing. Your body and your mind is the most important thing in the world. And it's never really worked on. I think, well, that's probably the kids argument. Say, oh, well, there's nothing, there's nothing I enjoy in, in school. You're thinking, mm. I can see where you're coming from because that would be the argument for, oh, maths will never be useful for me after I finish school. It's like, mm, you'd be pleasantly surprised. That's probably one that you would do. English, it's probably more important now than it was, say, a decade ago because we were communicating because the mobile phone wasn't what it is today. Uh, I think... That, that one they may struggle because their communication skills aren't as good as they used to be. Uh, science, you probably will do. And obviously, I think this is where I had a discussion on somebody else's podcast last night as we were recording. And they were asking, well, could, can you differentiate the, the curriculum in Britain as opposed to the US? Well, it's quite difficult because obviously you can't pick in the UK. Okay, you can pick your GCSEs and A-levels. But within the, with the American system, once you make, get into secondary school, you can pick whatever subject you can. Okay, English, as we touched upon, English, maths, and science, there's a minimum requirement you need to do to, to graduate. But everything else, it's entirely up to, to you. So it's probably a, a little essence, uh, like pre-university to a certain extent. You have, this is what you can pick from. There's, there's, your, there's your oyster. You decide kind of the route you want to go down and I, I think it may be you and they have more emphasis on uh, obviously P is mandatory you've got to at least do one year to finish school you have to do I think it's half a year of health so there's more emphasis obviously on health and well-being in it whether or not the actual the student pays attention in class that's a different matter altogether I I, I could probably use myself as, uh, as the example probably not because what well, Probably not in the class, but at that time I was also at a high level in sports, so that is a part of my lifestyle. So it's, I would probably constitute it. It's been rammed on my throat at school, but I'm also living it. So it's probably you're thinking, well, I, well, it's probably good to you could read into this either way. Uh, I'm a bit of a know-it-all because I'm having to re. I'm to, trying to live it, but that's 
me probably as a teenager thinking, oh, I missed the big. It's you can't teach me something I don't know. So it's a it's a difficult one. So it's trying to explain well how our system works. It, it's very difficult. It's probably not a great system, but not not there's no right or right right or wrong way in education. Each each system is probably you could look at the pros and cons. It's maybe each one could probably learn from each other and there you go, try and make a, a system work. But then ours is based on, well, you could probably say more so today, to this day, is is going more towards, like, you know, university, teaching you how to pass exams and it's all about the result and mm-hmm. not really the process. So really, they don't really know anything. They're just learning it to pass an exam and well, technically and this is probably not a bad, it's not probably not a good thing. I did that at university. You'd go from one exam to the next. Well, I need to memorize this for exam. Oh, let's chuck it away. I don't, I don't need to know it for the next exam. And you're not really, you probably take maybe 25% of the information, maybe a little bit more. And that's about it. So you're not really learning. You're just going through the process to, to get to the end result. Yes. That's what I was saying earlier about, excuse me about the about the curriculum that they had they done things because they had to because they was there but there wasn't really the teaching and the learning aspect thrown in they just they had to get through it it's something they had to do for that class and and yes everyone's the same we how many teachers would say to you and i had this in college we, we can't tell you what's in the exam but i recommend you remember this this and this and it's that's not really teaching you. You're not learning. You're not understanding. You're just thinking, oh, that's going to come up in the exam. I must, I must make a note of that somewhere and I must remember that. I must learn that. And yeah, and it's, I think it's the same everywhere now. Even my PT exams were like that. Even some of my nutrition exams were like that, to be fair. So, and yet the, the learning only comes from doing my job. Once, once I, I, was, I was kind of the same. I thought once I get the exam, I'll do my job and I'll learn a lot more. And I did. I needed the, I needed the qualifications to do my job. And I've learned more by doing my job probably than I did in any exam hall or, or classroom. Well, that's probably the argument in anything in life. It's you, you learn more on the job than you do learning a qualification. So it's, oh, it's probably, we're going off the topic a little bit now, but in terms of that probably world of business, that's what they're doing now. They're looking at, well, the qualification doesn't mean anything. I want you to have both. I want to at least have both, if not have experience. So it's like, well, you, you go on to tertiary education now. It's worthless because it's, it's pointless because you're coming out the other end. Yes, you know the topic inside and out from a theoretical point of view, but you've got no experience. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, it's, it's got to be a good mix of both, um, definitely. But then that's difficult because... You could probably blame, and oh, this is probably going to politics a little bit too much now. You could probably blame the Labour government for that within the UK because they were very much, what oh, this has been, probably late 90s, early 2000s. Everybody must go to university. Yeah, but not everybody should go to university or are cut out for it. No, that's, that's true. Not everyone, not everyone is cut out for it. That's, that's why there's qualifying grades. Um, but also, it's all very well sending everyone to university and everyone having degrees. But if you come out from university with your degree and all there is, is warehouse jobs. Is there any point in that? Is there any point in getting someone with a master's degree and sending him to work in McDonald's? Because not because he wants to do it because that's his career path, but 
because that's the only job that is available for him. So, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it's probably best we don't get on politics, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I could, uh, I, I, I could say quite a lot on that, really. There, there isn't, there isn't the jobs out there. People say there is, but there, yeah, there's jobs out there. If you want to drive forklift trucks and you want to pack shelves, yeah, there, there's thousands of jobs out there for you. Um, and if you want to clean, there's thousands of jobs. But if you want to do something that you've maybe studied for, that position isn't out there. I think even in my position now as a PT and as a nutritional advisor, that if I didn't set up my own company, I actually think jobs would be quite hard to find. Yeah, I could go and work at a gym, but I'd be slogging my guts out for for peanuts in a way for, for very long hours. Okay, I could make some money by doing a lot of PT sessions, but I'd be working 16-hour days. Um, the only way to have a good job is to, is, well, how, how I've done it is to kind of create it myself, really. Well, I think in essence, that's, from the job perspective, that's why I think they manipulate the data. It's like, this many people are uh, in work, it's like, well, or, or no longer in unemployment. You're thinking, mm, self-employment is probably a gray area because you can't dictate what the income is going to be month to month. So it's, it's probably more difficult at times being self-employed. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> it can be, yeah. But coming, yeah. coming back on the, probably that knowledge point and coming back onto, onto the topic, Mark, uh, in terms of probably educating people, obviously this maybe should be more of essence of going to the root source and maybe, maybe, well, maybe secondary school is probably too late. It's, it's educating the kids at primary level. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would go, um, I would go as early as possible. Um, try and I would definitely make nutrition one of the, one of the key subjects all, all through school, really. I mean, it's, it's really, really important. If you go to, um, oh, what, was, what was it I heard recently? I forget what the food type was, but they, they asked a little girl where, let's say, for example, a tomato comes from. And she said, Tesco's. You know, <laughs> you, you need to start. And there's, there's been schools that I've seen the odd program on the television where they take them out and they, they don't just teach them about the food. They take them out. They've got a little allotment in the school and they grow the food and they pick the food and they eat the food. And they, they have more, um, they, they enjoy the food more because it's, grown organically they understand about the food they appreciate the food more because they've had to put the hard work in to grow it if you've only grown six tomatoes you're going to really you're not going to throw one of them away are you when you when you finish your dinner um so there's a much more much more appreciation from the kids and, and just more understanding as well and and i think yeah i would take that as, as soon as i possibly could as early I, as I, I think i've seen something similar in terms of program i think it was to do with well where does chicken come from you know like the meat yeah, yeah. And obviously, I think a similar answer is thinking, I don't remember being, oh, oh it's probably a bit, a bit derogative in being that uh, idiotic in, in thinking, well, it comes from a supermarket. It's got to come from, I, well, you, you obviously know what an animal is, and this is on your dinner plate. Well, it's got to come from somewhere <laughs> to get to your dinner plate. Yeah, but I just, how. How often do these kids, I mean, I'm lucky I live, I live out in the country, so I've got farm shops everywhere. I've even, even not farm shops, but just, just a farm at the end of the road that, that puts some extra produce out in a little shed. And I go out and there's a little honesty box and I put my money in there. Um, and I, I, I've now recently gone to an online ordering company where they send organic food to me, which works really well. But 
that isn't readily available to everyone. Even the online ordering company doesn't deliver everywhere. Um, and I think little kids, their parents go to Tesco's, they, they go to the Aldi's and stuff, especially the Aldi's and Lidl's now because they're so much cheaper. And, and they don't go to these farm shops because they're, they're out of the way. They may, maybe even don't have access to them. There's not any close to them. Um, so the kids don't get to see that. They don't get to see the foods being picked. When I was a kid, strawberry picking. You know, you go to the fields and you pick strawberries. Why do kids need to do that when strawberries are now available 12 months of the year? Okay, they taste awful for, for 10 months of the year, but, but they're there. And the kids just assume they come from Tesco's and Asda. But most kids nowadays don't have the fun of going out with their parents, picking strawberries, pick, picking like 200, eating 100 before you go to the weighing scale. You know, you're coming out, you've got strawberries all over your face. You, you weigh half a stone more when you come out than when you weigh <laughs> And the kids don't have that. And that was a really enjoyable day. You know, you go out, you've got the sun on your back and it's, yeah, you come back sunburnt as well. And, and it was just a great day, but kids don't do that anymore. Well, you raise a good point there in terms of that ready, available, ready availability of foods. And this is probably, probably a bad one because we're shipping it in from all around the world. Obviously this day and I should buy British. Well, Shouldn't you? Shouldn't the vegetable be seasonal to where you live, not seasonal to? Uh, I don't know. Stretch it out to. Oh, that would be a good one. Brussels sprouts is almost almost year round, and you're thinking, well, that's growing in Britain. Shouldn't we just go from that? That's the time of year that's available, and that's it. Then you move on to the next vegetable. Yeah, and it also dictates your um, uh, your I'm trying to think of a word now and it escapes me. But if you go to, um, oh, it's annoying me now. I can't think of a word. Um, but you eat what your country produces, you know. So you go to like the, the Asian diet, for example. They, they have different health benefits in Asia to say the Mediterraneans because they're eating different foods, but they're eating what's local to them. The Mediterraneans are eating a lot of fresh, sun-kissed fruit and vegetables, a lot of oil, and, and they have low, low heart disease rates. You go to... Um, you go to Asia, they live very long and they're eating what's local to them. They're eating salmon, the rice, the, the part, say partially cooked vegetables, but are very quickly cooked vegetables. So they're retaining all their nutrients inside them, but they're not shipping in. Okay. They are now. I know, a, I know a Chinese guy and we was talking about this recently. They are shipping in a lot more Western food, which is a real, real shame because they've got this, they've got this amazing life over there in Asia and they're eating wonderful food. And now they're shipping in Western food and, and it's killing them. And you can see in the polls, in all the stats, that their, age, their ages are going down, they're dying at a younger age, heart disease is going up, kidney failure is going up, type 2 diabetes is going up, ever since they started importing Western food. So I don't think you need to be Albert Einstein to work out that the Western diet is killing the world. And it's a real shame that, that countries in the Mediterranean and in Asia that have a, a really lovely diet and what we should be learning a lot more from we're now killing them by, by giving them all the Western food and the Western takeaways and the Western fast food and processed food, which is a real shame. But going back to what you said, if your country ate the food that it produced, every country would have its own benefits and its own drawbacks, but you'd be, eating, you'd be much healthier because you'd be, be eating food that's A in season. It's been handled less because why, why would you take a strawberry that you can go and pick from the field yourself um, or you have one that's come from, say, the USA. It's spent four days in transit. It's been in a freezer. It's been handled 20 times. By the time it gets to you, there's barely any nutrients left in the strawberry anyway. So, and, and that's, 
I kind of say that a lot as well, that if you buy fruit and veg from a supermarket, people have in their head this five a day thing, which is, which is great. It's a real minimal requirement, I think. And it just five a day thing gets in people's heads. I must have fruit and veg, but five a day is not enough. Um, but you have your five a day from Tesco's, but it's not really five a day, is it? Because all the nutrients have come out of the fruit and veg. Really, if you're going to, if you're going to your supermarket, you want to be having like 15 fruits and vegetables. Whereas if you go organic, you could probably get away with three or four because the nutrient quality is so much more, it's so much denser in that food than it is in the supermarket. And people don't understand that. And people always say organic food is so expensive and it is more expensive, but you actually don't need as much of it because the nutrients are so much more denser in that food than they are your supermarket produce. But then also, Mark, wouldn't you say, this comes back to the knowledge again, people think off, we'll use the term that you've brought up with the five a day. They think it's a lot because it's not at the end of the day because it's a portion size. It's five portions and yeah. it's going to be very uh, detriment, uh, not detriment, it's going to vary from one fruit and veg to the next. So if we use spinach as the example, when it's uncooked, it looks like it's a lot. When it, you've, you've um, cooked it, it's nothing. So you could probably have a, a lot. I think you use it to the... Hundred exam, hundred exams, hundred grams. Sorry, uh, as the example, obviously it looks a lot when it's not cooked, and then when it's cooked, it's, you virtually can put it on a spoon and just eat it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, spinach is one I'm always disappointed with because I get a, a wacky gravy bag of spinach, and like you say, there's like a tablespoon of it left. You think, really? Is is that it? It's got in like one mouthful, but um, but yeah, it's so dense with, with the minerals that you need and the vitamins. But yeah, I think on the knowledge again. Um, it's just not there. It really, it really is not there. Um, newspapers and the media are trying to sensationalize everything. Like again, like the fat is bad for you. You should cut carbs to lose weight because they're trying to sell newspapers. They're trying to sell magazines. They're trying to make headlines. Um, but really the knowledge needs to go out somewhere and no one will put it out there because again, no one's making any money, but if I was to go out and write for one of these papers, you'd say, right, you need to be in single ingredient, whole foods. This is a portion size. This is where you need to get your food from. This is why you need to get your food from here. And you need to explain all this to people. And it, do you know what? It's, I shouldn't have a job. I shouldn't. Okay. 50 years ago, I wouldn't have had a job because people were doing this anyway. Okay. But nowadays, my job is incredibly important because people don't have the knowledge. Okay. You can tell I forget who the quote comes from now, but you can tell somebody something and they'll forget it. You can teach them something, they will learn. If you're involved with involve them in it, they understand. And and that's key. If you if you can you can go to like your your information only weight loss products and they'll give you bits of paper, you should eat this, this, and this. But what happens when that information's not there? They've not understood anything. They don't know where the foods come from, they don't know what a portion size is. How many people in the country um, know how much protein they should have on a plate. How do they know? You see the healthy eating plate that the government puts out, but we see that because we're in the profession. But how often do I see that in my daily life? I don't think I've ever seen that in my daily life. Maybe if I go to the GP, maybe it'll be on a wall in the GP's office and that'll be it. It's never anywhere where people can see it. Nobody understands how to make up a sensible plate of food. Oh, yeah, but the eating plate, obviously, as we know, within the industry is well out of date. Oh yeah, but it is out of date to us, but it will help a lot of people if they get to see it. But the information, like you say, and the knowledge, 
it isn't there for people and, that, and they can't see it. And I think, I, I don't agree with the eating plate either, but it would help a lot of people because of where they are at the moment. You know, if they're going to Iceland and buying frozen lasagnas, frozen pizzas, frozen chips, I mean, crying out loud, frozen chips. How hard is it to cut a potato up, put it in a tray with a bit of oil and cook it for 30 minutes? But they go and buy, they go and buy chips that are processed and covered in salt and sugar and fat. And why? It, take, it takes just as long to, to, to cook it. Um, and you can just, I, I have chips all the time. People say, when was the last time you had chips? Well, last night, really. But it was a fresh potato. It was chopped up, skin on, just washed, chopped up, put in a tray, a little bit of oil, a bit of salt and pepper, and it's done. And it's, it's that easy. But again, the knowledge isn't there, and it's easier to go to Iceland than it is to, to do it yourself. Would, well, would that person's argument be because it's convenient? And that's the only thing I could say to it. <laughs> well, it, well, it is, but <laughs> I just... Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't think it is that convenient. I, yes, you could argue things like if you had a lasagna, you know, there's, there's a little bit of food prep going on there. It's going to take you a little bit longer, but, but then you've got to look at, you get what you pay for as well. And if you put a little bit of time in that homemade lasagna is going to be awesome. The shop bought one is going to be rubbish, but people are so used to the shop bought rubbish that that's what their palate is used to. And I've got an example where when I used to be an engineer, we, they'd, they'd have the food vans that come around during the day, you know, the burger vans and the bacon and eggs and all that kind of stuff. And, and this, this bacon and egg van would come around for years. And, and this, this one guy, he was young, he was only about 19, and he'd have sausage and bacon sandwich every day on white bread. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. And they had that on white bread. But this, one day the sausages changed. And going from like your traditional like Wool's or Richmond 60% meat, 40% water and crap, um, and they went from that and they went to a, like a proper butcher's herby sausage and, and he threw the sandwich away. What's wrong with it? Sausage tastes awful. Something wrong with the sausage. No, it's a proper sausage, you know, but the crap that they can't, they can't taste it and they don't want to taste it to them. It tastes wrong. Well, that's probably what people obviously outside the UK would be horrified. What actually constituted a British sausage? Cause it was it, uh, we, not a great quality of meat. Uh, so, uh, so, some do, some don't. It's like saw like chippings and things like that. You're yeah. thinking, you put that in food. Um, what else would be in it? And obviously, the better quality of the meat, there's gonna, the sausage is going to be more qu- uh, quantity of actual meat in it. So you're thinking, well, that's good for you from a health perspective. Uh, not only for your health, but also, well, we didn't touch upon this that much, but obviously that increase in protein yep. that most people don't know about, it, you, you're getting more of it. And then it's it's aiding in a lot of facets of different things, be it uh, recovery, just natural body function, uh, et cetera, really. Yeah, I think, yeah, we, we, we're going to go down that route. We could probably have another hour on the, on the fitness side of things as well. But I'll tell you one other thing that's in your food as well, your processed food, is flies and insects. And there's actually a legal requirement. You're allowed a certain, it's a minuscule amount, but you're allowed a certain amount of, of flies and insects in the processed food. And they, they actually check this. And it's, it'd be something like 0.05% or something. But because of the factories and, and, the, and all the stuff you've got going on, they actually allow for this kind of stuff in your food. 
So why would you want to buy that kind of processed food when, when you know if that's going in, like you say, that there's all kinds of crap going in the food that you don't know about. And what I say to people, you shouldn't be eating it. If it's got an ingredients list or cooking instructions, don't eat it. Because whole food, natural food, doesn't come like that. Your potato you get from the farm shop doesn't come with cooking instructions or an ingredients list. So why, going back to the chips and the potatoes again, if you could, if you could grab a potato, like you, say your baked potato size, and you can chop that up into chip shape, you can put it in the oven, you know exactly what's there. It's just pure potato, okay? A bit of soil if you haven't cleaned it properly, but it's pure potato, right? <laughs> it goes in, a little, bit of, a little bit of coconut oil or a little bit of olive oil or something, and it's done. But then you go to, you get your, your oven chips and they've got, you've got salt, you've got some sugar in there, you've got all these other things. And there have been ingredients there. You don't even know what they are. I don't even know what they are. So if you don't know what they are, why would you put them in your body? Your body isn't designed. It hasn't got enzymes in your body to break down all this kind of rubbish they're putting in the food. I probably got a good story in terms of, you know, the oven chips. I had that at a friend's house. Ooh, how old would I have been? Probably, I don't know, seven or eight. And I hated them. So you're thinking, <laughs> so you're thinking, you're eating that. Oh, this is disgusting. So I, I think maybe because my household was health conscious when it came in, or to be almost about over 20 years ago, it's become a lifestyle. So it's, it's, it's no different now. So obviously eating things like that, I'm thinking, oh, it doesn't taste like real potato. Oh, it's disgusting. I could, I could probably sense that there's something not quite right with my, with the with, well, it's not palatable but to me. So you're thinking, I wouldn't have thought it'd be the way it was cooked because it, it, that those ingredients aren't going to change. So you're thinking, that's not right. So from that one, and then coming back to another example, uh, I think I didn't have chocolate until my christening and I didn't know what to do with it because I'd never seen stuff like that. So you're thinking, if it's not given to people, they're not gonna they're not gonna use it. But then if you give it like you your example you said with the Mountain Dew, you're gonna get fixated on that sugar and it's only gonna get worse because that's gonna be your baseline. So you want more and more and more. So it's never gonna go down. And that one you brought up of your example example of coming off it and I, I seen the video that you did is thinking okay that's gonna be i can see where you're coming from from the uh hitting the brick wall so it's gonna be it's never really a never-ending cycle because if you, you you're getting on that downward spiral you're never gonna get off no that's it and i mean for okay i eat vegetarian now but i for a long while i would eat 90 percent vegetarian I'd, I'd still have the odd bit of meat once a week <clears throat> excuse me and it was a little while ago now someone bought me they took me out to breakfast they bought me a traditional english breakfast okay so it didn't bother me i, I had the bacon the sausage the eggs um and i tell you what i felt awful for hours afterwards i had no energy i was tired I, i've only been up for like four or five hours i could have gone back to bed I felt terrible and it's not an exaggeration i, I really did and and i think to myself people eat like this every day you go down to your family with the chips they eat like that every day. For you, it's different. For you, it makes you feel lethargic. And you, you, like you said, there's something not quite right. It's not affecting my body in the way that I want it to affect my body. Um, but people are like that all the time and people don't know any different. And yeah, we all have a bit of junk food every now and again. Every, everyone does it, okay? And you know you're going to feel a bit crappy afterwards, but it's just once in a blue moon or it's once a week or whatever. It's fine, you know? Um, but people live like that all the time. And 
it breaks my heart. It really does to see parents giving kids in a pushchair Pringles or giving them chocolate, like you said, because there's no need for that. That kid does not know what chocolate is. If you give that kid an apple, the kid will eat an apple. If you give him a Mars bar, he'll eat the Mars bar. So why don't you give him the apple? You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help the kid. The kid's going to grow better. He's, his body at that age, to be honest, all the way up to sort of 24, 25, your body's still developing. So that's when you need the food. Your body is not crying out for a Mars bar at three years old, is it? It's mm-hmm. crying out for, for fruits, for nutrients, for minerals, for, for calcium and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't need chocolate. It doesn't need crisps and sugar and, and all this, this starch they add in. And, and it, yeah, it does. It breaks my heart. I hate to see it. And, and that's what leads me to where we started at the very start, where, um, where I talk about my dad, and it's a lifestyle of bad choices. My dad's diet was never that bad. It was what I would describe, and I've described it today, I think, in a video, as typically British. It was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was always cereal for breakfast. He'd have shreddies. If he was trying to be healthy, he'd put some bran flakes on top or some fruit or some fiber. Do you know what I mean? He'd, he'd mm. try to have his healthy kick. Then he'd go all morning. He'd go to lunch. He'd have a, a white bread sandwich. He'd have a bag of crisps and a chocolate bar. And maybe, maybe if he had a bit of money at the time, maybe a bit of pork pie or a sausage roll or something like that, if he was being flash. Then he'd get to his dinner and it would be meat, two veg. It'd be pie and mash, sausage and mash, maybe fish fingers and chips on a Friday night. And, and that's a traditional British way of eating. And it was certainly the way I was brought up till I left home. And, and I think a lot of people live like that. And it, it's not that bad day to day, or it's not that bad for a day. But over the course of 50 years, it is horrendous. And people do not realize how much damage it's doing to them. And my dad is just a prime example. I put a picture on once when he came out of hospital. He had these two pill boxes. And he had to live like that every day now. He's having like seven pills in the morning, seven at lunch, seven in the evening, just to keep him, I wouldn't say keep him alive, but keep him functioning. You know, he's got, he's got pills there for his adrenal glands. He's got thyroid pills. He's got pills to keep the, the cholesterol down, the type two diabetes at bay and all this kind of stuff. It's not necessary. He didn't need that. He really didn't. And I had an argument with my dad before he went into hospital and I, I looked at his diet and said, you've got to be careful at your age. You know, you you saw pre-diabetic, I would think. And, and he got really angry with me. No, I'm not. I'm not diabetic. That's for, that's for them people over there. They're diabetic. All the obese ones and the ones who eat the chocolate. I don't eat chocolate. I don't eat sweet things. I'm not diabetic. Sure you are, Dad. I'm sure. And then he, three weeks later, he comes back from the doctors, almost kind of proud, I think, that, oh, I'm diabetic. And I've got, these, got more pills to take. And, and I hear it a lot with old people, that oh, older people, I should say, um, it's almost like a competition. How many pills are you on today? Oh, well, I have to have 17. Oh, I've got 18. So that, that's me winning. And I'm like, I'm proud that I don't take any. I take some supplements. I take three or four supplements a day. But that's not to cure anything. That's for optimal health. And I feel amazing for it. And, but my dad's taken stuff to, to cure things that don't, don't need curing or shouldn't have needed curing in the first place. Well, that's a difficult one in terms of pills, Mark, because obviously you've got some, say the example, you take one pill for, for this, the next one is to combat the side effects. Is thinking, well, mm-hmm. if you got rid of pill number one, you wouldn't need to take pill number two, and you actually go to the root cause and obviously look at it from a health perspective. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. I think they said... 
last year that the third biggest killer in America was um, the side effects of prescribed medication. And that's it. And like, exactly as you say, you're on 17 pills, but 16 of them are just to combat side effects from the very first pill. And, it, and it's ridiculous. And my, my dad, for example, again, uh, I can use my dad because he won't listen to this podcast. So it's fine. <laughs> um, but he's, he's on medication to keep his sugar levels down. Okay. So he's, he goes to doctors, he gets his blood glucose checked and, oh, congratulations, Mr. Slight. It's at five, at five, six. That's good. That's, that's what we want. But it's only at that because you're having the tablet and, and he can, he can basically eat what he wants and the tablet will keep it at bay. But I said to him, if you come off the tablet, but we looked at your food, you wouldn't need that tablet. Okay. If we, if we got you to eat a good balanced diet and kept your blood glucose levels balanced naturally, you wouldn't need the tablet. It's the same with the cholesterol. Oh, my cholesterol is really good. Yeah. Because you're on a tablet that regulates your cholesterol. The fact that you're still eating sausage rolls and pork pies and pastries doesn't matter because your tablet's keeping it at bay, but you're not doing yourself any favors. And my, my dad's argument is, and I'm sure it's familiar with a lot of people that the, the spreads that it will go away from butter because it's got high, high cholesterol in it. And he'll go to these processed um, hydrogenated fats in a box, which he thinks are healthy because they tell him on the TV they're healthy, but they're, they're absolutely not. They're worse than the butter. But he thinks that's a good thing and that's being healthy. But on the shelf below that in the fridge is sausage rolls, pork pies, cheese, you know, things like that. And I'm not saying these things shouldn't be eaten. They should, but you can't have red-topped milk thinking you're being healthy and then have a sausage roll. It doesn't work like that. And there's, again, it comes all the way back to the start with the knowledge. People think they're doing the right thing. The, the, the spreadable butter, again, you know, have this. It's got omega-3 in it and it's really good to lower cholesterol. It's just, it's just rubbish. You know, it's got hydrogenated fats in it. It's worse than the butter. But I can't think what brand you're talking about. It's there in the back of my mind, but I can't think of it. Yeah, it's I can't think of you. You've got like your Floras and, and your, like your Benicol spreads and, and Olivio's and, and all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, they say it's got olive oil in it. So that, that's really healthy. But it's a solid, olive oil is runny. And it's a, solid, it's a solid spread. So they get that by putting hydrogen in the olive oil, which makes a hydrogenated fat, which is about the worst type of fat you can get. And they're, they're selling this as a healthy product. And I, and I don't get it. White bread. They, they take out the bran and the germ, which is the fiber and the nutrients from the bread. They make it white. And then people say, oh, there's no fiber and nutrients in it. I'll tell you what, we'll put a chemical process in place. So we'll put nutrients back in. We'll call it best of both. And we'll sell this, put an extra 50p on it, and we'll sell this as a super bread. But you've taken the goodness out with technology, and then you've put half the goodness back in with technology and a load of crap with it. And if you just ate the brown bread in the first place, you'd be so much better off. But again, knowledge and people selling products that is making them money, but is killing the population. Oh, what's the name of the juice? Reconstitute, there you go. Probably something <laughs> similar. But then... they're there's no difference actually between normal juice and, and that. So you're thinking, well, isn't it pointless than having a reconstituted juice? Well, it's, it's a weird one process anyway. Why would you take the juice out of a fruit and then put it back in and then, and then squeeze it? Yeah, I know. I know. It's um, the things that all I can say is things are very well marketed. And, and, and I heard something, when did I hear this? Yesterday that, that Google, for example, I know it's nothing to do with nutrition, but it's a similar way of thinking that these big companies, so Google, they had a, they had a blue band across the bottom of the Google search engine. And, 
and they was doing very well. They was making a lot of money and the Google search engine was working well, but they wasn't happy with that. So they took the blue band away. They created something like 47 different shades and they started to put these different shades out routinely amongst the population. And they, they correlated all the data and found that one particular shade generated more money for them than the others. So they then started to use that one shade of blue. And it's exactly the same with your Coca-Colas and, and your, big, your big food brands. You know, they'll be doing exactly the same sort of tests. What flavor, what flavor works well? What is the correct amount of sweetness in the drink? What is going to sell the most amount of products? It's not about health. It's not about the customer. It's not about who's... Who, they don't care if we die because there's more people coming up and they're feeding it in the kids' bottles. So if the 40-year-old guy dies or gets diabetes... They don't care because they've got a whole army of youngsters coming up. They're having it put in their feeding bottles for crying out loud. And they're never going to go bankrupt. The company's never going to go bust. And they don't care about us. And it's just well marketed, um, but not with any thought to our health. This is probably probably a little bit off topic, but obviously with um, McDonald's and Coca-Cola, Sponsoring the Olympics is something. What, what's your take on that? Because you, you wouldn't buy those two to go together. Yeah, my my take on that. I I understand the business side of it. I know why they do it, but I I scream at that at the TV. I I cannot get Coca Cola and McDonald's sponsoring FIFA World Cups, Olympic events, Commonwealth Games. This is an event that is supposed to promote ideal health. Okay, and and they're advertising it with products that are killing people. I do not understand that. You have got two weeks, maybe three weeks with the Olympics, where you can say these are the elite of the human race. Okay, and these athletes, this is what they drink. These these events should be sponsored by Evian and and Volvic and and organic produce and farmers and and this is what these people eat. But but they're not. They're sponsoring it with shit. And, and people are buying that and people are watching the event and people will be watching the FIFA World Cup with, with Coke in their hand, with Budweiser in their hand. And it is totally, totally wrong. Um, yeah, it, it's just an ideal opportunity to promote the superior way of living, I think. And, and I had this complaint recently. I applied for, it's probably about 18 months ago now, actually. I applied for Ninja Warrior in the UK. Uh, I love my obstacle course racing and I, I, I really fancied a crack at Ninja Warrior. And there was a section, there was about four pages you had to fill in to apply. You had to put YouTube links on there to you and, and maybe your business and, and you training and stuff. And there was one question at the end, why do you want to be on the show? And this will explain why I never got on the show. <laughs> but I put down that you're too busy putting people on in Batman suits and Superman suits and too many people asking about because it's entertainment. But if you go back to Ninja Warrior in, in Japan and, and that, yes, you get one or two clowns on there and it's, you know, it's a little bit of humor, but it's promoting health. It's promote. you look at that and you think, how the hell does he do that? You know, it's inspiring to people, but the UK version is just nonsense. It's not inspiring at all. I know a guy who, who went and done the trial. He got on the show because he didn't diss him in the application form like I did. And he got on the show and, and he was better than everyone there on his, on his demo but he never made the show because there was, there was other people who was funnier. They had a bit more of a backstory. It was a bit weirder than he was and they made better television, but he would have inspired people. People would have watched him and gone, that's amazing. I want to be like that guy, but they don't. And it's just television. It's money and, and business again. And it's just the way of the world at the minute. It's, it's really unfortunate. Well, I definitely agree with that. It's well, 
it's mundane television reality. They're very much, it's probably a side topic again, uh, more likely to put reality television because it's easy to make. It doesn't take much effort. And, and, that, and people seem to like that. It's like, well, you don't need to concentrate to watch that. No, and it's cheap for the people as well. Don't forget, all they, need, they don't need to pay anyone. They, do, they just need some celebrities who've, who've drifted away a little bit and want to get back on TV and, or people that are sitting in their armchair. I mean, I know this is nothing to do with nutrition, but for crying out loud, the modern world, watching people watch television, I cannot get my head around that. Gogglebox. I just, I just can't get my head around it. I, I don't watch a lot of television. The last thing I want to do is watch somebody else watching television and tell me what's happening. I don't get it. <laughs> Oh, they've done one worse than that. They've done a children's version of it as well. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. I haven't seen that. But, uh, but yeah, I, but then, I don't get it. But then that one might be um, entertaining because it's a kid's perspective anyway. So there might be some outlandish comments, whereas some things you're thinking, I'm not the brightest person on, on, on the planet, but that's, that's a different one entirely. But... It's a difficult one. I think, like, like we've said all along, it comes back to that knowledge base. It's obviously educating people. But then I think it maybe goes a little bit deeper than that. It's, and I've talked at length a lot recently about it. Obviously, people are one-track-minded. They've got their view on things, and that's it. It, do, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to stay in this line. This is how I think. If you think differently to me, oh, well. But then it's thinking, obviously, from the nutritional and obviously fitness perspective, and we touched upon it a little bit, obviously, with the, the media and the newspapers, they're only going to read that headline, and that's it. This is yeah. fact. Yeah, they do, and then that, they, they don't go any further than that. And, and the fat thing is a, is, a real, is a real thing for me that gripes me. And fat is bad for you. Some fat is bad for you, you know, but fat, not all fat is the same. And no one... Again, the knowledge base, no one ever distinguishes what's good fat and what's bad fat. If you, if you simplify things for most people and said, you know what, most good fat is liquid at room temperature and most bad fat is solid at room temperature, that's a bit of knowledge that most people don't have and it would help a lot of people. It really, really would. I know, I know that's not the case for all fats, but for a lot of them it is. And it's something that people don't know and it could really help people understand a little bit more about the fat. I think I was very, asked a good question as well recently. It was like, oh, what can I do to take fat on my diet? It's like, well, you don't want to do that entirely because you need that for your cells. <laughs> but that, I think that because it comes down to obviously that knowledge base again. I know that because I've been taught that to a higher level. It's obviously we're taught the ins, well, I won't say ins and outs of anatomy, but obviously how the body functions, and we know that. Whereas you're thinking, okay, I, I um slightly a little bit over over I won't say overweight but have a little bit extra weight carry a little bit extra weight let's just take out this food, this food group yeah and that will solve the issue it's like well mm, no because it could be a number of other factors yeah but again it's like I say it's knowledge and it's easy as well you know if people just cut fat out it's they don't have to worry about anything else they're eating they're just going to cut the fat out it's nice and easy same same as the Atkins diet if we just cut the cut the bread out and cut the potatoes out, we're going to lose weight. Well, yeah, you are, <laughs> you know, you, you're cutting out a big portion of your diet there. And but again, knowledge base, no one knows why the carbs are important. No one knows how the carbs work. No one knows that that's your main. I, I never really used to know this until I got into sport that 
carbs were the, the fuel for the body. I, I never knew that. But no one really explained to me the, the differences between simple and complex carbs. It, it is all stuff that I've learned since. And we go back to school days, not being taught this kind of stuff. And it's, to me, that is fundamental knowledge that everybody should know. And, and it's, unfortunately, it's, it's something we don't get taught. Well, that from, from the, just those examples you used, Mark, you, you're going to change your lifestyle straight away between, I think I was asked a good question last night on, on another podcast, is how would you change, well, what was, what was the question? What, what, what does your breakfast c- constitute of as opposed to what, what normal people would do in, in a general population? It's like, well, I said, well, uh, most bases it is porridge well that's not the obviously you know that's not the it's not the i know as well it's not the greatest thing i could have but it's better than the cereal yeah yeah i mean i I have porridge a lot and it excuse me that there is there is better things to have generally porridge is my kind of go-to breakfast because to me it's it, it is easy and um and it probably four or five days a week i'll have porridge but then yeah we've i've talked about breakfast a lot recently and there's there's a lot in in having a good breakfast as balanced with carbs proteins healthy fats um my ideal breakfast we've talked about it before it's actually um a lady that i've been working with it's her favorite breakfast as well and it's, it's rye bread avocado smoked salmon walnuts a little bit of oil some chili flakes for a little bit of heat to get the metabolism up and to us that's a perfect breakfast maybe you might want to throw an egg on there as well poached egg um, and that's a perfect rounded breakfast. Now, not everyone can make that every day. We understand that, but there's, there's so many other better choices than cereal. I, I often wonder where the cereal come from other than Kellogg's because it is the worst thing I think that you could possibly have first thing in the morning. A bowl of sugar for breakfast is absolutely horrendous. And, and, and it is just given to us from an early age what do you have for breakfast? You have cereal. You can have healthier cereals if you like, like the so-called, the so-called healthy cereals, like your Weetabix and your bran flakes and things like that, fruit and fiber. And, and that's seen as healthy cereal. But cereal on the whole is not a good start to your day. It really is not a good start to your day. And I've, I've had a client recently who said they was cutting out sugar from their diet because they was concerned they was eating too much sugar. So they'd cut sugar out of their tea and they'd have five cups of tea a day. So they've cut five teaspoons of sugar out but they're having, um, they was having shreddies for breakfast. We actually, I went around there and we weighed out the shreddies. They was having three and a half portions in a bowl because, you know, the cereal portions, they're only tiny, aren't they? 45 grams is minuscule amount. Um, so it's having three portions every breakfast time. Then you've got all the milk on top of that, a bit of fruit as well. And we worked out they was having 18 teaspoons of sugar oh for breakfast. And so they think they're doing well by cutting the sugar out of their tea. But by eight o'clock in the morning, they're having 18 teaspoons of sugar. So, but people don't know this. People And people, my dad, again, was horrified when I showed him how much a, a bowl of cereal was, how much a portion was. I weighed it out for him. So there you go, there's your breakfast. Well, that's, that's no good to me. That's not going to sustain me. No, we'll have a proper bloody breakfast then. Don't have shreddies for breakfast. You know, but it, it won't, it's ingrained and it won't change now. But do you think it, it's probably, in essence, like we've talked about through the episode, it comes back to that marketing issue. It's, it's drowned down your throat. This is good for you because, oh, it's got the added minerals and um, vitamins and, and, and whatever in it. Thinking, yeah, 
it's fortified because it's, it's absolute rubbish. That's why. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, um, hang on, my, my sound's gone there. I don't know if I it. Because, because, like you say, there's just so much. It's just cardboard. You've got to put something in it. You know, you, that's why people drown their cereal in milk because it tastes bloody awful if you don't drown it in milk. So, oh, this is something I've seen recently as well. I've seen one of the teachers put it with orange juice. What? What is it? Is, is it because? And I didn't ask them per, per se. Is it because they possibly have a intolerance to lactose that they're doing that, or is it because they like doing that? What they've put orange juice on the cereal? I think so. It, oh, it wow. Wow, that's uh, that's unbelievable. That again, that's got to be um, that's got to be a sugar fix thing going on there. I think it's probably probably nothing to do with the lactose. Probably just the fact that they want their their cereal a bit sweeter. Yeah, that little buzz. Get <laughs> that massive spike. Yeah, then then about half hour later, they'll need another massive buzz as well, won't they? Yeah. Well, I think uh, like like you say that that comes back to knowledge. It's it's been forced on your throat from a media perspective. So okay. This is, it's been told this is good for me. Oh, it must be right for me. And then obviously from, we touched upon it a little bit, obviously the complex and simple carbohydrate, people don't know the difference between what's going to sustain you for a longer period. Thus, they don't know what to actually eat in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, it doesn't take a lot of, a lot of knowledge to, to live a healthy life. Like I said earlier, I, I shouldn't have a job. It, it shouldn't exist really, I don't think. Um, people should know the basics and it, and that's what I find with my job. When I got into this, I thought that I would be working when I studied, I studied really hard. I studied lots of different nutritional protocols and I thought it's going to be really hard. I'm going to have to really work on, on getting into the nitty gritty of people's diets. But you know what? I don't, I, I keep things. I'm almost embarrassed sometimes how basic I have to keep things because people just don't know them basics. And it is the, the case of, People don't like breakfast, for example. And one of the things we bring in is a, is a habit course where we just get people to bring in a new habit every day. And generally the first habit in 90% of cases is I want you to eat breakfast because they, they have their last meal at seven o'clock at night. They go all the way around till seven in the morning when I would normally have breakfast, where probably you normally have breakfast. But then they go till lunchtime and they don't. And the first thing they, they have to eat or drink is a coffee. And that comes about mid-morning or people get up and they say, Oh, I need a coffee to pick me up. Well, you don't. You could have much better things than the coffee to pick you up. And again, much like the sugar spike, you're going to get this caffeine spike and you're going to need a pick me up again. So what happens? They get up, they have a coffee, they have this big spike, they get to work, they have a big lull and then they go for, oh, I'll have a cake or I'll have a biscuit or something because I'm a bit low on energy. I'm a bit tired, a bit groggy. And a good breakfast with the, with the good fats, the, the nuts, the avocados, the oils, the, the protein in there as well. And, and they wouldn't need that. And staying with the breakfast as well, I have nothing wrong. I have no problem with having a roast dinner for breakfast. It's got protein, it's got carbs, it's got fat, it's got everything I need in it. I've, I'm not going to be dictated to that I must have Kellogg's cereal for breakfast. If I want chicken and potatoes and broccoli for breakfast, I'll have chicken, potatoes and broccoli for breakfast because it's got everything I need in it and it works well for me. People look at you like you're a bit weird. If you go to the gym and as, as a trainer, you know, you, you get your Tupperware box out first thing in the morning, you start eating cold broccoli and, and I don't know, parsnips and potatoes and things. And people say, and everyone else is there like with their, with their protein shake or with their, with their cereal. 
what are you doing? Well, I'm having what my body wants and what my body needs. My body doesn't need Kellogg's cornflakes. It doesn't ever. Okay. And, and the other thing is people have cornflakes late at night and they have frosties late at night and cereal late at night. And it's just, cereal is no good for you at any time of the day. But when people have it, morning and night are the two worst times you could possibly have it. And, and, and obviously on that protein uh, front, Mark, what are some of the challenges you face to, how would I put this now, um, changing maybe that habit to, to take it on board, obviously, because it's, it's, diff- it's a total mind shift from what obviously we've been taught previously. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it is. And, and, and it is one of the other basic habits we bring in. And it's quite simply have more protein or have protein with every meal. And, and we, we take it really slowly. We, we give them a list of what proteins are good. And we want you to have a portion of this with your meal. We don't go into at the beginning what a good portion size of protein is. We want you to have some protein with every meal. So it becomes exactly that. It becomes a habit that you start to build your plate with protein first. Okay. And but, but then for, for, for an example, more so for the British public listening, that's not very difficult because you think of what we got numerous types of eggs you could have. This will probably horrify the Americans, obviously, with us eating baked beans for breakfast. But there's another one. And there's, yeah. you've got your fiber as well. So it's, it's I think people, when, when I give out plans, it'll be, oh, you might, it'd be an example, you must have a type of meat or fish. No, that's just an example. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. You can think outside the box. And well, what would be another one? Well, eggs, omelets. Yeah. It don't have to be that. That's just an example. I think people get fixated on, on I, I don't know, it's probably the same with you. When you give a shopping list, people say, is this all I can eat? No. But if I gave you, I think, I think it's a PDF, mine's a PDF document, so it's a page. If I wrote that everything that you could eat in a shop, you, <laughs> you wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, that's right. You, you, what I find strange with the shopping is that 90% of the supermarket is the stuff you don't want to be buying. And the 10% you want is in the first 100 yards, in the, or the first 20, 30 yards even, of the supermarket. It's the fresh produce, you know. And then the next part you come to is the, is the meat, so the fresh meat, your, your chicken and your pork and everything. After that, it's, you really want to be going to the checkout. You want to be going to the till and paying for your food because the rest of the shop is just rubbish and it's filled with your processed foods that you don't want. And yeah, the proteins, I, I could list a ton of proteins for them. I keep it fairly simple. I keep it to the, to the lean meat. So your porks, your chicken, everything you've just touched on, porks, chickens, egg, um, white fish, um, oily fish twice a week, that kind of thing. But for me, being a vegetarian and being lactose intolerant as well, can't, I'm not intentionally vegan, but it tends to be a mostly vegan diet. Now, what people don't understand is you, you don't actually need that much protein to survive. Yes, we look at the, the percentages of how much protein you need to build muscle or if you're going into a gym and stuff and you know a gram of protein per pound body weight, all that kind of stuff. But really, you don't need that much protein for your body to survive. And you can get enough protein, I certainly can, from my rice portions during the day. And people don't understand that there's protein in your rice, in your quinoa and things like that. Um, so yes, there's a lot, like you say, there's a lot of choices. There's a lot of good protein choices and you're just giving them a taste of what they can have because it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes if you said, right, 
here's a PDF document purely on your protein. People are going to get lost and people are, people are not going to understand how to cook a lot of it for a start. You know, if you give people fresh prawns and, and, and shrimps and things like that, are people going to know how to cook that? Probably not. So chicken is easy. Pork is easy. Tin tuna, that's easy. Salmon is easy. And you want them to start with what is easy. You don't want it to be difficult for them because you don't want them to, you don't want them to walk away from the program. But then also a lot of what people don't know is, oh, I'm just see if I get this right now. There's actually more protein in actual grains than there is meat. So actually you could survive without eating meat entirely. Yeah, I mean, you, you just need, percentage-wise there is, um, if you take things like, even down to chia seeds and, and spirulina and things like that, spirulina is abundant in proteins, about 40% or sort of something more like that. Might be more than that, I think. Um, but you couldn't base your dinner on it. Okay, you, you can put spirulina powder in, in your dinner and, you, you know, percentage-wise, yeah, there's a lot of protein. But to really get the protein that most people are looking for, you'd, you'd have to eat it by the bagful which wouldn't be very pleasant. So, so you could add things like your chia seeds and your spirulina powder. Yeah, very high in protein, flax seeds, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, people, like I said, again, knowledge. We keep coming back to knowledge. People don't know and people don't understand. And when you give people chia seeds and flax seeds, they say, well, what amount of times people said, oh, what's this bird feed I'm eating? Why am I eating? <laughs> and people, people say it all the time because, because I work with older clients and it, it's kind of a new thing. You know, it's, it's readily available now. Tesco's will sell, or where was it? Audi, I saw selling spirulina powder and um, chia seeds, flax seeds, even cacao powder and, and raw cacao nibs and things like that. But years ago, that wasn't possible. You'd never get that kind of stuff. But people don't know what it is. It's in this little health food section, which is a little section. And people generally over 40 walk past that because they don't understand it. Oh, yeah, but like you say, it's bird feed, but you wouldn't. Do you get them eating it out the bag or, or, or adding it to something? Because I would say, for me personally, it would be, I, I wouldn't, I'd add it to something else so it gives it, in an essence, probably a texture. But I wouldn't yeah, dare eat it by itself. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I would, um, I mean, cacao nibs, they say you can, you can sit and eat cacao nibs from the bag. I, I wouldn't do that. It's like eating tree bark, but I do add it to my chocolate porridge. And it's really nice because it gives it a texture, like you say. Chia seeds generally go in overnight oats sometimes. Um, on my, if, if I was to have some, some coconut yogurt and some fruit, it would go on there again for a bit of texture. Um, I tend not to soak chia seeds because they, they taste a bit like, um, yeah, well, they just don't taste very nice. I'm not going to say what they taste like, but they don't taste very nice. <laughs> but they expand and they're just a bit gloopy on your tongue. It's a bit like eating frog spawn. If you, if you put it in a, like a chia seed pudding, can't stand chia seed puddings. They're horrible. Um, but people, yeah, they, they see these things and they think it's a bit of bird feed and they, they laugh about it and they joke about it. But if they add it to the right food, it's really good. And people always come away saying, actually, that was really nice. Might not look nice, but it tastes good. But I think, like, like, like we've been touching upon all night, it, it, it comes back to that knowledge base. And I was asked the question with the porridge uh, question and they said ask do you obviously add stuff to it but that's knowing my body and knowing the situation when i wake up it's going to come very much down to mood what kind of training i've done obviously that from an information standpoint and adapting it at, to that account but then the general populace obviously don't know that 
Yeah, that's right. And then, and that, that's why we're here. <laughs> that's why we've got a job. That's why we're here to, to help people. And I, I don't give people strict instructions. I, I involve people as much as possible. And I, I educate them at, in my programs as educational modules, not to try and lecture people, but to, to get them to understand, to help them with their digestive system, understand how the carbs are broken down, where the protein's broken down in the body um, and, and things like that. And I think that's really, really important that people understand how the food is interacting within the body because then they make better choices. And when we've stopped our program, when they've stopped working with me, they can cope on their own and they, they know they've learned a little bit and they know what to do. And I always tell my clients when they come on board that once we finish, I don't want to see them again ever. And they, they, should, they should be in a place where I've taught them enough that they don't need to come to any more professionals. They don't need to go to Weight Watchers or Slimming World again because they've learned within the program and, and they've understood a little bit more about the food and why they're eating it and, and when they should eat it. But I think and I, you're not the first person to tell me this now. I've heard that probably multiple times now. I think people, are they, they kind of question themselves. Why is this person saying this to me? I don't expect to see you after six months. You're thinking, well, if I give you the tools you're then able to help somebody else. So it's, you may not, that person indirectly may not work with me, but that's not the end of the world. I've done my job. I've kind of had this kind of uh, pyramid effect, so to speak, where I've helped you. Go, you maybe go and help 10 people, then obviously multiplies from there. So you end up helping probably hundreds of thousands of people indirectly. Yeah, and you think that, a lot of people have got kids and grandkids. Maybe they can go and help them and bring up the next generation a little bit better. And um, what really excites me, I said I get, I get really heartbroken when I see kids eating like Pringles and, and things like that. Um, my sister-in-law, she's, she's had a couple of kids now and, and she's very healthy and she would be feeding the baby blueberries all the time and chop. there's Tupperware boxes that she gets out. There's bits of raspberry in there and there's bits of apple. And I love it. I love to see that. And, I had a good friend of mine um, I've been recording with for quite a while, Fiona Campbell. She's pregnant. She's, she's about to have a little baby girl in a couple of months. And that's really exciting because, because she's a nutritionist, because she's a professional. She knows how to eat well. You know the baby's going to be brought up really well. And just to have that one little baby in the world that's, that's educated and brought up well makes such a difference. How many lives can, can her little baby girl touch as she grows up? How many people can she educate? You know, like you said, that, that effect where it just expands and, and one person can help 10, 10 can help 100 and so on. And it's, it's, it's a shame that it has to work so small and we have to start from little acorns. But if, if we can help a thousand people, if we can help one person, it's, it's worth it. Well, I think it's, it's coming back to the root cause of why the industry is there. I think you could say, I won't generalize and say maybe 50% of, of the industry is egocentric. It's like, well, I've got mine. I don't care about anybody else. And uh, it's kind of, well, haven't you kind of lost touch with why you got into the industry in the first place? I think I did at some point, but then that's probably why you didn't go into the gym environment in the first place because it's obviously very cutthroat and you're working stupid hours to just survive. So it's, I think with the online platform, it's gave me a new lease in life and say, well, if the person doesn't work with you, not the end of the world obviously you're going to create that community yep. and, and go from there and obviously you're you're helping them you're you're giving them the knowledge they they'll 
they may come to you eventually anyway, but that's a choice if they don't. By giving you the tools to live a healthier lifestyle, I've done I've done my I've done my job. Yeah, I mean I've had messages from people before but they're connected to me on social media, but they're not very active. They're not liking and sharing and stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you'll get, I've had it once before where six months after becoming a friend with someone on Facebook, they sent me a message and say, I want to thank you because I've been following your advice. I've been doing your exercise programs and stuff. And, and they've never told me they've just been doing it in the background and, and they'll send me pictures and they'll say, I've done this, this and this myself and I've transformed my life. And I want to thank you for all your help. And, and that's brilliant. I've touched someone's life. I didn't even know I touched. And it, because it's out there and because you're helping people. And, and I think the biggest thing with the online community is I get to not only help a lot of people, but I get to interact with awesome people like yourself and, and other people within the industry, which, which I wouldn't get in a gym. How many people would you interact with? Three or four? And there's no guarantee them three or four people are going to be very good. Um, I remember on my PT exam, there was, there was a guy who, who went out. We had the exam in the afternoon. We was there in the morning. And he went out to the garage at lunchtime and got like a gangster's sausage roll. I'm like, come on, you're, you're supposed to be educating people here. And, and if, if that's all the type of person I can connect with, I'm never going to grow. But instead, I'm online. I'm connecting with people like you and, and other top nutritionists, health experts, athletes, coaches. And me as a coach, I'm growing because I'm taking bits from you and bits from other people. And it's just helping me grow, which means I can then help other people and and hopefully in, in some little way, people are taking a little bit from me as well. And maybe that's helping others. And, and it just creates not just the community that you're trying to serve, but this community that you're connected with as well. And, and awesome things like your podcast and, and my video series goes out to people for free. And it's just knowledge there from different people, different health experts. And, and it's amazing what we, what we can really do. And, and there's, there's no end to it, really. Who knows what's going to happen? But 20 years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed this was ever possible. I would never have thought, when I was at school, what do you want to do as a career? I want to become an online health coach. What's that? And it wasn't there. So who knows what's going to happen in, in 20 years time. Maybe I'm doing virtual reality workouts in my living room and putting them online. You know, who knows? Who knows what's happening? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a hologram projected into someone's living room, giving them a, giving them a lecture on healthy eating or something. You, you just don't know. It seems far-fetched, but th- there's just no limit at the minute to the way things are going. Well, with with the technology, obviously, it's it's good and bad on both fronts. Obviously, from the networking point of view, obviously, I think it's more the let's see if I can get this word right. It's the ones that obviously want to succeed and and, and broaden their knowledge base are obviously going to interact with other coaches, be them more influential, so they can kind of get maybe a topic they're not, they're not they're not comfortable or not as expertise in well i can drop a message i think i talked about it this week for sure to somebody well if i don't know the answer you say for example somebody emails me a question if i don't know the answer i go i i know the person to, that know the answer let me email him as opposed to you, I think I use a good example. Yeah, you're in a good age now that you could tweet the person. It's yep. probably not the easiest to do 140 characters, but it's doable. But if you emailed me first, and I obviously have that connection with him anyway, you probably might get, you might get the answer back a lot quicker. Yeah, definitely. And that was that was the the whole idea behind my own superhero series was that 
I'd get people from different from different fields. And yes, I know about all the fields, but I can't profess to be an expert in all of them. But I've had somebody who's, who's a gut health expert. She knows a ton more than I do. Yeah, I know the basics. She's an expert. So let's get her on and talk about it. I know people who've, um, uh, who else have I had? People who've worked with mums, for example, and people who are experts in habit coaching. It's all stuff I do in my programs, but these are real experts that people can really sort of get into the nitty gritty of it and people can get a wealth of information. And like you say, they, they can get that from me. I'm connected to these people. If I don't know, if there's something come up that I didn't know I could ask you about, I'd send you an email or message and it works really well. And again, it's the community thing and, and, and it, it does work really well. Well, it's remembering, obviously that I touched upon earlier, it's, it's remembering why you came into the industry. It's not being, Oh, that egotistical person, I want to make more money than somebody else be, or you have that aspirations to, well, you say, quote, unquote, earn that six-figure income. I think when I see that on social media, it's like, yeah, I won't say it's a scam, but there's another one that's like, yeah, that's not, re- like, in 30 days, like, that's not realistic. That's not possible. No. I think they might have one or two clients that have done it, but, you couldn't go from, from starting out to that in, in that time. It's, it's impossible. And it's taken me, I mean, I signed up with a new coach at the start of this year. Um, and it, there, there was things in place. It was like a 12 week course, but it's taken me until now for things to start to click. And yeah, let's, let's we would all like to earn the six figure income, obviously, but it's not about that. If, if I can survive comfortably every month and, and you, Let's, let's not be naive about it. You need finances because you need to be able to grow and you need equipment. I'm sitting here in front of a podcasting mic that costs a lot of money and and you need things like that to grow and to help and to reach and you need the security to be able to relax and enjoy your job. You don't have to think on when you take people on um, on breakthrough calls and on consultations, you don't have to want to sit there and think, I need to get this client. I need to pay my mortgage. I must take this person on. So I'll sell them anything. I'll tell them anything they want to hear to get them on board. I want to be able to help that person. If I'm not right and I think someone else is, I should be having the confidence to send them away to that person. And I've, I've done it before. I'm sorry, this, is, this isn't right. I'm not going to get you the best results. It's not going to go well for me because they're going to come in for six months. They're, going to get, they're not going to get the results they want. It's going to be negative for business. Yes, I've taken a bit of money, but I haven't served anybody, which is like you say, what you come into the business for. So you need money to be able to... to um, to get your message across and to be able to work to a higher standard. But I, I'm not money focused. I don't need to work 16 hours a day thinking I'm going to work for 50 pound an hour and that's going to generate me such and such amount of money. It's not about that. It's not about having new clients every day and taking in 700, 800 pound every day. It's not about that. It's about taking the right person and getting the right result for each person. So. Well, I think it's looking within yourself and it's obviously that oh, probably comes to that route one of self-development you you learn through trying and error so to speak to find uh your well not calling in life but the person that's going to work with you best because i think in that gym environment you take on anybody so it yeah. they might not be the right fit whereas i think online you're not going out and searching for the person predominantly most of the time the people are coming to you so they'll be looking be it maybe less so on the website now nowadays maybe social media maybe facebook twitter maybe instagram a little bit more now and see well okay this person resonates with me i've got similar values 
let, let's have a discussion with them and see. Well, are they face value? Are they not kind of two faced in what they're saying? But they come across in a different way and kind of see. Well, can I work with them on that personal basis? Yeah, because I mean, as a PT, generally the way you get a client is if you're lucky enough to to be the one assigned to give them the introduction, and and then you'll you'll take you know you'll offer your PT services and and they'll. Even if they don't take you up on it there and then, they'll probably come back to you because they've spoken to you and spent a bit of time with you. But now, my story of my dad and why I do what I do, people come to me because they go, do you know what, that's me. I'm exactly like your dad was. I, I don't want to be like that. I want to sort it out now. So I'm going to come to you because you've got the experience and, and that's, that's who you work with. And all my clients are generally the same. Um, same age group. They come into a group program. Everyone gets on because you haven't got an 18-year-old and a 90-year-old. Everyone's around the same age. And like you say, they they kind of seek you out because your story is there. Um, on that note, I might have to let my dog out in a minute. <laughs> okay. So I think, well, well, hang, hang on a sec. I'll just open the door. So last question, Mark, before we uh, wrap up the episode, go for it. You have to summarize this entire episode into one sentence for people to take away. What would that be? Educational. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think we've tried to get to the, to the root of, of what people need. It's, it's all come back to the one word, which is knowledge. And I think we've tried to share as much knowledge as, as we can within, within this time. But there's obviously a lot more for people to learn, but trying to stop people taking the quick fix, stop taking the ready meals, stop taking the, the diet pills and the, and the information Weight Watchers packs and things like that. Try and, try and educate yourself. Um, to understand how things work and why things work, go to the root cause of the problem rather than taking a pill just to just to combat the issue. I think I think that's the message. Get some knowledge. I always say, and it's hard to say when you run a business. Oh, you should get a coach. Well, yeah, of course I'm saying that because I'm a coach. But but you really should. If when you learn to drive, you don't just get in a car and teach yourself to drive. You get in with an instructor who knows what they're doing and who's been taught to train you how to do it to the best of your ability. And it's the same with nutrition. It's the same with PT. You don't just go into a gym and start throwing the weights around. You get someone to show you how to do it. And you need, nutrition is just the same and healthy living is just the same. You need a coach to show you and educate you the best way to do things. You probably go a step further with that, Maya, and having that person to be accountable to as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we get everyone to, to fill in a form every week uh, for that reason. And I've got a guy who's with me. He's been with me for just over two years. I can't believe we've talked for like an hour and a half. I've not mentioned him yet, but <laughs> he's been with me <laughs> over two years. And and he's signed up for, a, for an entire year. He's paid another 12 months and he's signed up. And he's signed up not for the training, because I do still train him physically, um, not for the nutrition or the recipes, but he's signed up for the accountability because every week he has to fill in a form and he comes back to me and he says, I've lost a pound. I've lost a pound. I've lost 1.2 pound, 1.3 pound. And it's that accountability. If he didn't track that, if he didn't measure that, if he didn't send it to me, where would he go? He'd probably a few weeks off, you know, drift here, drift there, put on a pound, put on another pound. Before he knows where he is, he's, he's back to square one. So, Mark, once again, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Absolute pleasure. I've loved it. I say it's a real change to actually talk in in my position rather than me being in your position it's really <laughs> nice to be sitting here and actually uh talk without feel like i'm cutting off my guests so it's really nice well thanks again for coming on thanks a lot mate take care and before i forget i would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review 
as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.